My name's Abe. I'm uh, the pastor out there at West End Church. Um, and uh, we're so glad uh, that you're joining us, whether you're joining us from Missouri City or West End or online. Uh, we're, we're one church here at River Point, but we're in different locations. So if you're watching us from online and uh, you're in Houston, first of all, you missed out this morning, but we encourage you to please uh, check us out at some point, come back uh, uh, to church. We think you'll like it here. Uh, we're in the series called Are We Good? And Patrick uh, has... has uh, started off this series so that we can address the relationships that are most influential and impactful in our lives. Week one, he talked about how the relationship that we have with our father is such a uh, impactful one. And if you haven't had the chance to listen to that message, it's called Daddy Issues. You ought to look it up on YouTube, River Point's YouTube channel. It's an amazing ser- uh, sermon. I think it'll really bless you. And then last week, he talked about friendships and the importance of our friendships. And this week, we're talking about family. On the count of three, everyone say family. One, two, three family. I don't know what comes to mind when you think about the word family. Uh, For me, when I think of the word family, what comes to mind is my wife and I. We've uh, been married for three years, so that's what what immediately resonates with me when I hear the word family. It's it's her and I. Uh, Maybe for you, when you think of family, you think about the home you grew up in. You think about the family of origin, your direct family. We're talking about parents and siblings. Or maybe you belong to one of these huge, massive families, these gregarious kinds of families uh, that gets together and there's like over 50 people and you guys could go ahead and start your own township if you wanted to, right? Maybe that's what you think of when we talk about the word family. But what's important for us to realize here early on today before we get into the content is this. It's that there's typically a disconnect between our family and what we consider or we think to be a strong, healthy, or quote-unquote perfect family. And here's the thing. When you think and you envision about the perfect family, you don't have any original thoughts about that. That has all been molded for you. You've been influenced to have this idea, this concept of what the perfect family looks like. And because we live in the advent with the advent of television and film and Netflix and HBO Max and Amazon Prime, whatever subscription you have, we're constantly being bombarded with what a a family should be like especially on social media, right? We, we, we have all these different ideas and influences. And maybe, uh, maybe you're like I am. Like I said, I'm, I'm kind of a newlywed, only been married for three years. So when you think of your family, you and your spouse, and you're just starting off and, and you're trying to start a family and you're thinking about having kids, maybe when you envision and think of the perfect family, you think of the Houston Astros slugger, Carlos Correa and his wife, right? And you're like, man, they're so good looking. And he's so talented and she's like Miss Universe and they just announced that they were pregnant. And and that's what comes to mind when you think of the perfect two-person family unit. Or or maybe you're a 90s baby like I am and you grew up watching the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. So when you think of the perfect family, you think of the Banks family, right? And and the Banks family has their own dysfunction, but it's it's like light, mild dysfunction, right? and, And here's the thing is, Though they are dysfunctional, you can laugh at it. And here's the thing, they're filthy rich, right? And that makes everything better, does it not? Uh, But here's the thing. There's a disconnect between these families that we deem to be perfect, that we deem to be strong, that we credit them with health. There's a disconnect between those families and our family experience. So what do you do when uh, uh, you aspire and you hope to have a beautiful family like this, but instead your family is more like the Simpsons. (laughs) What are you supposed to do with that? 
if you have just a rotten middle schooler and a lazy husband, God bless your soul, right? What, what do you do with that? Or what do you do if, if your family takes dysfunction to a whole other level and your family is a lot like this family from uh, the Netflix series Narcos and your family's like the Escobars? I don't know, maybe you were raised by a Colombian drug lord. I'm not, you're welcome here. We won't judge you. Or maybe you're a mother and you aspire to have this strong, intimate relationship with your daughter, with your girls maybe. Uh, and, and it's more something like you would see on an episode of Gilmore Girls. But what happens when your relationship with your girls is more like the one amongst the Kardashians? What do you do with that? A lot of you guys are pretending like you don't know who the Kardashians are. You're liars. I know you have all the seasons DVR'd and your baby can't watch Paw Patrol because you won't free up the data. I know you. I read your mail. What are you supposed to do when there's this disconnect between what you think is the perfect family and your actual family experience? My wife and I joke around about this all the time and we're half joking, but we're very worried. We're kind of antsy about, uh, about introducing kids into the equation because we both have uh, childhood experiences and the experiences as adolescents and family, and we bring emotional baggage to the table. And we are so deathly scared of bringing someone into this world or, or, or assimilating someone into our family and just completely screwing them up. That seems cruel. It seems cruel to do it. Here's the other thing is babies are very cute, but teenagers are not. And I was a youth pastor for a long time, and, and that kind of, I don't know, that's kind of like a whole different kind of birth control right there, being a youth pastor. Just know if you are the parent of a teenager, I pray for you every day because your life is just awful. It just is. I, my heart goes out to you. So we're very antsy. And, and full disclosure here, I'm teaching a message on family, and I just outed myself as being completely in over my head because I just exposed the fact that I have zero experience. I don't know what it's like to raise kids. I, I, I can't, I'm not this wise old sage that, that is a grandfather and has now uh, seen generations and can bring all this expertise to this table. But what I can do is, is share my experiences as just another family member, right? Because I'm, I'm a son, and I'm a brother, and I'm a cousin, I'm a nephew, and I'm getting really good at being a clueless husband, right? And, and the truth is, if we're all being honest, we're all kind of in over our head uh, w with this whole idea of family. A lot of us don't know what we're doing, and that's okay. So I'm not going to pretend to be an expert today. I, I'm, I'm going to sheerly uh, uh, just share what I know to be true from this book. And here's the thing. I, I have faith. I have trust. I have confidence in the Bible and what it teaches me and how it guides me, but maybe you don't. First of all, that's okay. We don't, we don't expect you to come in here believing and just playing by all the quote unquote rules, right? But what I'll challenge you and what I'll encourage you with is that this book has just a lot of practical things that you can apply regardless of what you believe. So what we're gonna read today is a story of a man named Abraham, and his story is really riveting. Uh, there's a lot of drama that happens in Abraham's life, but what we're gonna look at today is the beginning of this relationship between Abraham and God, and Abraham is affectionately called the father of the faith because he puts his trust and faith in God. The Bible says that, uh, uh, that Abraham's faith, his belief in God, his trust in God was credited to him as righteousness, 
which is why Abraham is this important figure. But what I'm about to show you right now are some simple decisions that Abraham makes to set his family up for success. So here we're going to read this first encounter in Genesis chapter 12. And God introduces himself to Abraham. And he says this. He says, the Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. Next verse, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. So Abram goes, he follows God. Now, here's something that is important for you to realize from this verse, is God's appeal to Abraham is, hey, I have an amazing plan for your life, but I just don't have an amazing plan only for your life. I also have an amazing plan for your family. Right, Everything that God was describing of, uh, uh, of blessing the generations, his offspring, his descendants, what God is talking about is setting Abraham's family up for success. Here's what you need to know about God. God doesn't just care about you as an individual, but God deeply cares about your family. He's so invested in your families. I know that some of you guys feel overwhelmed and you feel like you're out there on an island by yourself raising your kids or you're out there just surrounded by by so many different factors that complicate your family dynamics and, and you may not see God as being a part of your family equation, but he is, he is. He so deeply wants to be a positive impact and influence and to change your family, not just you. And what we see Abraham do is we see Abraham have the courage to follow the call of God. That's the first step that we can learn from Abraham is we have to have the courage to follow. Abraham did not grow up believing in God. Abraham believed in many gods. He was raised uh, uh, to worship a lot of gods. That's a society and culture and tradition that Abraham grew up in. So when God approaches Abraham, he not only asks him to leave his homeland, he not only asks him to leave his family, but he asks Abraham to leave behind his belief system. And he challenges him to expand his horizons to something new, which is to follow the one true God. And for Abraham to take God up on that took a lot of courage. In the same way, when it comes to building a strong, healthy family, you're going to have to have the courage to follow. Let's say, for example, that you grew up in a great home. And you were raised by a father and a mother that taught you about God's word and instilled great values in you. And maybe your home was known as a safe haven to all your friends and your friends would come over the house and your mom would treat your friends as if they were her own children. And maybe your mom kept the pantry stocked with all the good snacks. You know what I mean? Not, not, not the off-brand granola bars, but the Nature Valley granola bars that never go on clearance. Not, 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 not the Walmart brand fruit snacks, but the fruit snacks made with 100% Welch's juice. Maybe that was your house, right? Mine wasn't, but maybe that was yours. And your parents modeled what a healthy marriage looked like. Guess what? You're not going to be able to reproduce that in your own home just by osmosis. Just because you were raised in that house doesn't mean you're just magically going to reproduce it in your own family here today. You're going to have to have the courage to follow God on your own. You're going to have to take your own decisions and be led by your own convictions to follow either in your parents' footsteps, but certainly to follow in whatever path God is calling you to live in. 
Now here's the other side of the coin. Maybe you didn't grow up in a home like that, like the one I just described. Maybe you grew up in a home that had a lot more dysfunction, maybe just a little bit more dysfunction. Things were just complicated. Maybe you were raised by a Latina mom and you grew up dodging sandals, you know what I mean? (laughs) Bobbing and weaving. She only got me once, I'm proud to say. Maybe that's how you grew up and you're like, yeah, my, 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 my childhood was definitely more challenging, but the family I grew up in was more challenging. Maybe that's you. Maybe no one else in your family believed in God. Well, guess what? That's gonna take courage for you to become the first. Abraham was the first, like the first, first, first. He was able to, to set his family on a completely new trajectory. And if that's what you want to do, you're going to have to have the courage to become a trailblazer and to chart your own path and to follow God when that wasn't what was necessarily modeled for you. I believe that you won't regret having the courage to follow. Here's the second thing we see from Abraham is if we go on just a couple of verses later, uh, Abraham takes God up on, on his calling. He leaves the land of his father. He leaves his household. And Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. And at that time, the Canaanites were in the land. And it says this, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to your offspring, to your family, right? Family, here he goes again. To your family, I will give this land. So what does Abram do? He builds an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. There, he again built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. The second thing that Abram, uh, Abraham teaches us is that we have to have the courage to build, the courage to build. Abraham gets, uh, uh, he sets off on this journey and at different checkpoints in the journey that God was leading him on, when he arrives to one place, he builds an altar. He gets to the second place, he builds an altar. This is not the only times in his life that he builds an altar. Later on, he uh, builds more altars and building an altar is, is building a monument of reverence, of devotion, of worship, and he builds it to God. And that was Abraham's way of saying, God, I need you. I'm setting my priorities straight. First things first and first comes you. And here's what you need to know. In all of our families, in my family and your family, we're all building some kind of altar. All of us are building an altar and it's up to us to take responsibility for what kind of altar we're, we're building. Abraham built an altar to God. What kind of altar are you building? To who are you building? To what are you building? Where are you building? What kind of foundation is it built on? These are some different examples of altars that we all build. The first is the work altar. I struggle with this one. I'm so passionate about what I do. I love what I do. It really doesn't feel like work, but so much of my passion and energy and time can be invested in my, in my job, in, in my profession, in my career, that what ends up happening is I end up sacrificing my family, my relationship with my mom, my relationship with my sister, my relationship with my own wife. I end up sacrificing those things because I'm building an altar to my work. And something that I personally struggle with is, man, it feels good when you get a pat on the back for being good at your job. It feels great when you're heralded as a a hero But that becomes problematic when you're a hero everywhere else except in your own home. Oh, 
Is that the kind of altar that we want to build? When, when, when God calls us into his presence, do we want uh, coworkers lined up, dying to talk about that sale we closed that one time? I don't know about you, but I, I don't want to be remembered for an altar that I built to my work. Here's another altar that some of us build. We build an extracurricular altar. This is the altar that, that, that we build when we're just all about involvement and we're hyperactive in things outside of our home and, and, and we're a part of every uh, uh, sports league and we're a part of all the three-letter organizations. We're a part of the PTO and we're a part of the HOA. And, and for the love of God, why would you want to be a board member on your HOA? Okay, it's, it's politicians we really dislike and then it's board member on the HOA. You need to turn in your resignation today. I know there's someone here who's a part of the HOA. None of us like you. But anyways, <laughs> you're so involved, right? You're so, oh my goodness. And you know what? That's a, that's a God-given wiring within you. Like God has made you into such a way where, 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 where you like to be a part of your community and you strive to be a pillar of your community. And that's a good thing. It's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. Be involved, but just make sure that you're not uh, living your life for things that are good, but sacrificing things that are great. And if your family uh, knows you for being involved and being hands-on everywhere else except within your home, that could be problematic. Here's another one. It's the recliner altar. This is the altar we build in honor and devotion to ra- rest and relaxation. There's so many of you guys here today, but the moment the Texans start playing, it's whew, sayonara, because you're going to have a remote in one hand and a topo chico in another. And that's what the week is all about. We're just working to make our way towards the recliner and rest is good. God modeled rest. God rested on the seventh day. So we too should rest. We too should have a Sabbath, but man, we ought to be careful if if we spend so much time just perched somewhere and and we're not as active or involved in in our families and that, that, that could be troublesome. Here's another altar. It's the social media altar. Man, and this, this is something that we like to make fun of our teenagers about because so many of our, our teenagers are involved in social media, but we've been talking about this for 10 years. So the teenagers that were so involved in social media 10 years ago are now adults. It's my generation. And as we grew up, we didn't just ditch or, or, or ditch our phones. We didn't ditch our interest in social media. We're still involved and, and, and we're having kids now. And when we view our entire world through the lens of what it's going to look like when we post it on Instagram, when everything is filtered uh, just to rack up likes on Facebook and views on TikTok, like that could be an issue. That could be an issue to to the point where every scenic uh, mountain range and every scenic sunrise and sunset is just another photo op. And meanwhile, we're missing out on what's happening in the here and the now with our family members and our loved ones. Abraham said, hey, first things first. The first thing I'm gonna do when I arrive somewhere, I'm gonna build an altar to God. 
I know you may not know how to build an altar to God, but that's what we're here for at River Point uh, Church and at West End Church. We're here to help equip you and resource you to help build an altar of eternal value. That's why we invest so much in children's ministry. It's why we invest so much in, in ministry to our youth because we wanna equip parents, we wanna support parents. It's why we have small groups coming up here on the week of September 26th. We have small groups for everyone. We have small groups for singles. We have small groups uh, for newlyweds. We have small groups for empty nesters. We have small groups for cigar smoking heathens. And I may or may not be leading that one. We have small groups for everyone because we wanna help teach you and we wanna build an altar alongside one another. That's what we're here for. Finally, I want to reference you to this verse that we already read. It's in uh, verse 4, chapter 12. So uh, uh, and I'm going to give you some context as to why this matters. But what we read was that Abram followed the call of God. He went as the Lord had told him, but he brings someone along for the journey. It says that Lot went with him. Lot was Abraham's nephew. Some of y'all know where this is going. Lot was that crazy family member. How many of you guys have a crazy family member? Raise your hand high, be proud. Keep your hand up. Want you to look around. You see the people with their hands not raised? Y'all are the crazy ones. That's you. That's you. Thank you. Thank you for identifying yourself. Like, no, all my, my family's perfectly normal. Yeah, you're the crazy one, bro. You ruined grandma's cookout. You brought your girlfriend and ruined the family trip, right? Abraham, right, had a crazy family member. It was Lot, and Lot brought some dysfunction. He brought some problems to the table. And, and what ends up happening is that Lot's family grows, and so does Abraham's family, and then their families start getting into issues with one another. And this is what Abraham uh, tells Lot. He says, uh, let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herders and mine, for we are close relatives. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. You know what Abraham is showing us? Abraham is showing us that he had the courage to set boundaries. The courage to set boundaries. And if you want to have a strong, healthy family, you need to set healthy boundaries. And sometimes you got to set healthy boundaries with loved ones. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Abe, I can't do that. That's my flesh and blood. I got to be loyal to them. They've been with me through, through thick and thin. Yeah, I know they bring some drama, but I love them. And here's what I'm telling you to do. I'm not telling you to, to get rid of them. I'm telling you to just set some boundaries. I don't know what that looks like for you, but set some boundaries. Ask yourself, hey, how can I have a healthier distance between uh, what this person does and some of what I'm trying to do in my family? Lot later on in chapter 14, he ends up getting kidnapped by an evil warlord. Do you want to know who showed up to save Lot? Abraham. I'm not telling you to turn your back on your family. You got to be there for them. You got to be a, 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 an example and you've got to be a pillar for your family members when you're going through difficult things. But set some healthy boundaries. Maybe it's not a someone, maybe it's a something. Maybe it's work. Maybe it's some of the things that you do for fun. Just set some healthier boundaries for the sake of your family. It's not easy to do, but it's the right thing to do. I have one more thought, and it's this. Everything that I just said would be something that you might hear on a Dr. Phil show. And you're like, oh my gosh, I could have saved my time. 
Music was great, but I could have just stayed home and streamed an episode of Dr. Phil. You want to know what really makes all, all the information that we just covered, you want to know what makes that really life-changing? It is being a part and making sure that you are a part of the family of God. If you are not a part of the family of God, that's, that's your first stop. That's your first step. The Bible uh, uh, speaks of, uh, uh, of God's relationship to us as he is our heavenly father. You and I, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. This is a family. And if we want to have a strong, healthy family, the first thing we got to do is become a member of the family of God. This is what the Bible says in John chapter one. It says he came to his own. Jesus came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become Children of God, children of God. We can become children of God. God is desperate to adopt us into his family, to graft us, to recognize us as one of his own. If you've never made that decision, I would love to say a quick, simple prayer and walk you through that. Remember, you gotta have the courage to follow, the courage to build, the courage to set boundaries, and remember, all of that is irrelevant if you're not yet a part of the family of God. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much because we acknowledge and we recognize that you care about our families. God, you don't just care about us as individuals, but you are deeply invested in the health and the strength of our family unit. I don't know what that means to everyone. Lord, I know that there are some people here who are single and they're thinking about starting a family or they're seriously dating. God, this is just as relevant to them as it is to those of us with, with spouses and those of us with children and grandchildren and extended families. I just pray that we would have the courage to set the foundations right to our life, that we would have the courage to follow you, the courage to build the right kind of altar, the one with long, uh, long lasting value and impact that we would have the courage to set boundaries when necessary. If you're here today and you've never uh, personally asked to have a relationship with God, you've never asked to join the family of God, if you'd follow me in this just really quick, simple prayer, it sounds like this, God, I recognize that I'm not perfect. I recognize that I've sinned. I do things, say things, and think things that aren't right. So God, in this moment, I choose to accept what you did for me on the cross and I accept your forgiveness and I ask to be part of your family that you would become my heavenly father. If that's you, you made that prayer for the first time, you just made the best decision ever. That's the first step towards a healthy family. God, we thank you so much for this time where we're able to gather and, and to learn more about you. It's in your name we pray, amen.